The following podcast is a part of the Spin Studio Network. Welcome back to Flourish and Fulfilled. Now, today I am joined by Andrew, who is, of course, my partner. Now, we have so many commonalities and like life path connections that are just insane. The amount of things that we have yeah, in common and just like random things that have happened or that we find out at a later date is, yeah, next level. An example of that is my dad lives in the middle of nowhere and I think it has a population of like 20 and his next door neighbour is Andrew's childhood best friend. They go surfing together almost weekly, like so crazy. So it's things like that that happen all the time. So anyway, welcome to the podcast, Andrew. (laughs) Thank you for having me back. Now, there's another reason, I guess, that I just love and respect your words so much because I don't have to articulate myself or express myself because you just get it. And I do feel that that is because our childhood upbringings were very similar. So there are like key words that I don't have to even explain or terminology that you just understand because both of our childhoods were very religious. And myself being raised as a Jehovah's Witness, you were raised in the Pentecostal faith. Now, the reason that this podcast today came about is that there's a new release book that has come out by Tom Tilly called Speaking in Tongues. And the conversation was brought up a few times with different friends and yourself. It was actually um, brought up to me first by that same friend who lives next door to your dad. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he sent it to me and he's like, he's like, have you seen this? He goes, he goes, this reminds me entirely of my childhood. So Tom Tilly actually, um, so the, the specific um, denomination we're in, so yes, it was Pentecostal, but the group um, that he was a part of was called Revival Centres mm-hmm. uh, International. And the group, that's the group that we were a part of. It happened to have like a little split. And so it split into the Revival Fellowship and Revival Centres. So we were part of the Revival Fellowship and Tom was part of the Revival Centres. But when I, I actually hadn't haven't listened to the podcast yet or read the book yet, but I'm quite intrigued to find out a bit more about his story because um, the, the bits that I did here, it sounds like he's virtually the, exactly the same age as me. He was in uh, just a different part of Australia uh, and he ended up going with sort of one group, but the, they were virtually, virtually identical. They split over one specific issue, um, which was uh, to do with how long people get put out of the, the church if they... Fornicate. Mm. And it's interesting because like from my perspective, I was listening to a podcast that reviewed the book and the review of the book that they were talking about on this podcast was like, this is absolutely mind blowing that he was raised in this way. And they were coming from a place of just like, I can't believe there are people that are raised in this way in Australia and I was so unaware of it. And for us, like that was all we ever knew because obviously your childhood and your experience and your life is all you know. And it's not until now that I'm an adult where I'm listening to other people's childhood experiences or the way that they were raised or the way that I'm choosing to raise our children has entirely uh, made me more aware, I guess, of the fact of how different and how um, strict and mm. how many differences in the way that I was raised to other people was. Yeah, I, and and similar to me, it's one of those things, you only know what you know. So as a child, you grow up and you you develop your faith or beliefs just in life from, you know, the your 
your parents and then your peers. And so you go through those different sort of age groups where, you know, initially like, you know, what your parents say is everything, right? And then as you get a little bit older, you start to question things based on what you hear from peers around you who might have different ideas. And so um, you, you then quickly start to realise, I guess, particularly for me, I was probably through the high school age group, that there's a lot of different ideas out there and different opinions. And then that's when you really start to sort of question things more for yourself, isn't it? And I know that within like the Jehovah's Witness faith, there was a saying that was bad association spoils useful habits. That was like their saying. And for myself growing up, it was very strict in relation to who I was allowed to see, spend time with. Uh, a lot, a lot of the children in the congregation were homeschooled as I was for high school years. And I do feel that there was a level of making sure that you didn't talk about anything externally that could sway your opinion or your belief or rub off onto you or um, anything like that. But obviously we know what our experiences were within our own um, upbringing. But for those listening at home, can you kind of give us the beliefs or fundamental belief systems surrounding the uh, religion you are? Um, like revival? Yeah, so the Revival Fellowship is a part of the Pentecostal movement, which um, in terms of the greater Pentecostal movement in Australia, people might uh, think these days of groups like your Hillsong or C3 Church, which are the much bigger versions. Um, and they are sort of on one side of the spectrum in regards to their, their interpretation of Pentecostal Christianity, which is very much uh, a love-focused, very accepting sort of side of it, but also, I, I guess, a very high-energy, let's call it slightly hyped-up version of it there, um, more popular version, whereas we were on the entire other extreme where it was much, much more conservative uh, and we had they, one specific um, fundamental belief which was different, which was, which is, I guess, the topic of Tom's book, which was to do with the speaking in tongues, where that was an absolutely essential part of being saved. Uh, and so you essentially have the Holy Spirit when you speak in tongues? And that's the difference, yeah. So some interpret you having the Holy Spirit um, from other means, and you could say that you've got the Holy Spirit from another gift, whereas um, the interpretation that we grew up with was that without speaking in tongues, you could never confirm that someone specifically had the Holy Spirit, so it was essential. So... Again, I, I understand this because of my religious upbringing. However, for those at home, just imagine they've got no uh, religious concept in any way, shape or form. What does it mean to speak in tongues? So speaking in tongues is the, the idea around it and, if, and going back to the scriptures uh, around it is that it's a, a form of communication directly between you and God. So rather than you needing to sort of think about how you want to pray, etc., it was a, a form of praying where it's like having a direct pathway to God where it's your spirit praying and connecting in a way which is beyond what you would otherwise need to comprehend or think about. So it's a pure way of sort of praying and asking God for help and so forth. Um, and in terms of what it sounds like, it sounds like, it can vary from uh, from more from somewhat of a sort of a, a gibberish stutter to an entirely you know different language. And how do you speak in tongues? Like, is it a, a way of praying to receive it? Is it a way of? And so to receive it exactly. So it's a, a, a way of praying, and it's basically just praying and asking 
God to provide you with that gift, with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Um, and it, you would then know based on, you know, that being confirmed as well by some other, you know, elder within the church. And at what age does this happen? Um, it can happen from sort of any, the idea age of understanding was a general interpretation. So for some, it might happen from sort of early childhood, like even as young as six or seven was some cases. Um, for others, it was, you know, as you got a little bit older um, or for people new to the, the faith, then it could happen as an adult. Yeah. Now, it's interesting as well, like when I tell people, like people are like, oh, you had a religious upbringing, cool, you went to church on Sunday. I'm like, no, no, <laughs> no, no. So our we didn't ever call it a church. So for us, the terminology was Kingdom Hall. And we would go Monday, Wednesday, witnessing on Saturday morning and then Sunday. So four out of seven days was that. It was a lifestyle. It's more than just a, a go to church on a Sunday. Absolutely. Yeah. So how what was what was a common week for you? Was that similar? To uh, yeah. So Sunday we had two meetings. We had Tuesday nights, Friday nights, and then Saturday would be depending on the age group. Yeah. And other than that, like being raised. So I know that for, for myself, it was like I, everything by the Bible, according to the scriptures. So even little things like um, the words that I would choose, I would not swear, uh, the way that I presented myself, the way that I spoke to others, the words that I used, uh, fornicating, um, tattoos, piercings. Uh, essentially, I would not look like the world. I wasn't to wear, no women wear pants at a kingdom hall, they wear dresses. I would always be presentable. And I do want to really articulate here because I know my mum will be listening to this is that I'm very, very grateful for my upbringing, for the fact that I was raised with a very good moral standpoint. I feel I am very, um, I always put others first. I always have a very um, a kind heart. I, I feel like there's a lot of good that does come from the Bible and the scriptures and the way that I parent does have a version of that. It's more for me the fact that I don't ever want to live in fear and every decision that I made up until, like I even say now, like I fall asleep at night and it's that constant battle and I'm 33 and I haven't been like, I haven't been an active Jehovah's Witness since I was like 16. And it's that whole thing of like, do I pray before bed? No, I don't. No, I don't. Fall asleep, fall asleep. And then it's that constant, like, if you don't, Armageddon's going to come. And so that constant fear that's drilled into you from such a young age that, yeah. Yeah. And, and I guess I come from a, a similar sort of position in that there was that that fear factor that, you know, if you didn't receive the Holy Spirit, if you didn't speak in tongues, then you weren't going to be saved. And, so, and we we did grow up with a lot of similar terminology and terms of things that were worldly and being part of the world, et cetera. And then there was that guilt factor. So for me, I went to a high school um, which or the, in which there was no one from the church. And then so I would go to church on a weekend and I had my church friends and I had my school friends during the week and never the two would mix. They, so the people at school never even knew that I went to church during my entire high school. So it was like living two separate lives because mm. – one of them was so ashamed of the other, and the uh, I was basically it was like shame on both ends. Yeah, it's like I, I was embarrassed to be a part of the church at school, so that was a problem for me. But also when I was at church, I was embarrassed of the things that I did at school. Mm. So it, it created a lot of sort of conflict with me internally, which you know you only start to understand and process as you get a bit older. 
Uh, yeah, we, so we went witnessing, like, which is essentially door knocking. And I would know when it would be like someone's house from school. And I'd like beg my mum, like, please, mum, please don't make us go in there. Please don't make us go in there. I would be mortified. Like, and then I would go to school and I'd get severely bullied. And then I had like one of my girlfriends, um, Ashley, who was my best friend growing up and her dad was an elder and she was at school and she was just always like the best Jehovah's Witness, you know what I mean? So she would, and like, because she was my friend, she would never dob me in or never do anything like, and still to this date, like I'm still, I love her, but um, very different lives now and still very different at school as well. So I'd go to school and she would be 100% in line with, Jehovah and making sure that she was doing the right thing. And I would be at school just like so torn between getting bullied and fitting in mm. and following the right path. I and, use that. You know. And I think, yeah, and that's a part of it. Obviously everyone's influenced by, you know, how they grow up and, and you can look back as an adult and that's why it's quite common. I find with, you know, friends with children that, you know, some of them grow up and, and they then teach their kids the same way they were taught things and mm -hmm. others go in a different direction. Um, I guess I've sort of gone in a different direction and sort of allowed my children to, I guess, sort of develop beliefs as they've chosen, as they've gotten older. And they go to a Christian school and, and they have Christian beliefs. Um, and uh, one of my daughters is more inclined with the, the way that I grew up. Um, as, even though for me, it's never been a sort of a pressure from my end, but I've allowed her to, you know, to just develop those beliefs as she feels sort of, you know, comfortable as such. Um, and so, and again, I guess, because I've never wanted sort of pressure on them to feel a certain way. I've wanted them to figure things out, whereas I grew up the other way. So I sort of bent. <laughs> It's, it's funny as well because both of us, our mums were heavily involved in the religion and our dads were not. And it's the same for both of us with that. And I think the key thing for, for myself is making sure that no matter what it is, that the kids are always like, why? And asking mm, that exactly. and knowing for themselves, I think, because for me, like I grew up being like, if somebody questioned me on my faith, I could rattle off any scripture, yeah. but I wouldn't genuinely know why. It yep. would be because of this scripture. It'd be because of this. It wouldn't actually be because it was in my heart of hearts what I believed was true. Yes. Yeah. And I, I'm very thankful. So within Jehovah's Witnesses, you you don't get baptised as a baby. You get baptised uh, when it is the right time according to the elders and you meet with the elders and it's the right time. My mum never let me get baptised. And I'm, I begged and begged and begged to get baptised because I didn't fit in within the kingdom or I didn't fit in at school because I was literally tweeing this line of like, I have no friends at school. I'm not allowed to do anything. I'm not allowed to go anywhere. I'm not allowed to see anyone. And then I've got two friends that are in the kingdom hall or within the religion that I'm allowed to be friends with. And so I would beg my mum, please, mum, I can get baptised. I can get baptised. Mum's like, no, because if I did, I would have been disfellowshipped within, what, a month? You know what I mean? Like, And so I'm very grateful for that because my friends that are still in uh, the religion, I'm allowed to be friends with now to an extent. Mm. I'm still bad association, guys. Calm down. <laughs> yeah, and I guess that's, again, some of the similarities, which um, I think, from what I know, it's a little bit stricter. That's in regards to, like, the Jehovah Witness faith regarding how they're meant to treat people who are disfellowshipped or not part of it to the extent of how family is treated in particular, which is one of the things which is really hard, having known other Jehovah Witnesses yeah. where they're, you know, one, one of them's still in it, one isn't, and they're 
their father, daughter, brother, sister, and they can't even like communicate anymore. Yeah. Um, and it, it was similar for us, but they were, it's, that was one area where they were just a bit more understanding. Yeah. But, yeah it's it interesting as well though. Like, and I think we do have to stress here is that I know that we have family that are Jehovah's Witness faith who are still, one's disfellowshipped and he still communicates very regularly with his mum. Yeah. Um, so that is very... And it's and that's right. And it's like within... There's always variations to this. And I've got a significant part of my family who are very much a part of the, you know, the fellowship still. Uh, and that is their fundamental belief system. And I entirely love my family. We have no like issues in terms of catching up. We enjoy it. My kids love catching up with the cousins. Mm. We always enjoy catching up, whether we're visiting down Adelaide or they're visiting um, and love them all very much. And, and we don't have any issues relating to the fact that I'm not a part of the group and they are. Mm. Um, the only difference is that, you know, all our fundamental beliefs, you know, in the background are different. But, you know, then I'm never made to feel sort of guilty anymore like I felt when I was younger. Um, it's it's interesting. I was having this conversation with my dad the other day and dad was like, I love the fact that both you and Andrew can respect somebody else's beliefs regardless of what they are and still have them in your life, be friends with them, love them without them having to turn or be like pushy in relation to what your belief or faith is. Mm -hmm. And I really, really value that because I think that's huge within friends as well is just because somebody has a different belief to you or a different um, value system, it doesn't mean that you can't respect them, love them, be with them, that type of thing. It doesn't matter what that is, whether that's their belief or not. So if you were to articulate, I guess, what the hardest or most pressure building thing was like I know that you mentioned that you felt that when you were younger. Why? Was it the fear? Was it the pressure of having to conform? Was it – what was it that added to that pressure? Um, it was it, it was that balance of trying to figure out what is true, what is For real. You. Yeah. Yep. Because, you know, you had – you you would multiple times per week be hearing the same message of this is the truth, this is – you know, and for these reasons, and like you said, you memorize these scriptures and reasons and you were prepared to argue with any other religion based on your interpretation of these scriptures that were written thousands of years ago to justify your specific point of view. Um, and I guess one of the hard things was knowing that our specific point of view as well was such a minority, but then it would, you know, they'd use a scripture that, you know, only a few people <laughs> find that, you know. <laughs> So it's how difficult it is to be saved and not many sort of find the way. So it's like there's always a reason for everything. And I, I, when you start to hear all these other interpretations and all these other religions, it's like if, if there's only 1% of Christianity that's even going to be saved because that's how small this fundamentalism is, then what? and then no one else knows the way, every other religion out there, it's like that. it does start to seem, you know, really harsh. It's like do I believe that, you know, if there's, you know, a creator that that's how life is and that it's that difficult. There was a lot more to it, obviously, but it's hard to get it out in just a few minutes. No, no, it is. And it's, it is, it's so, it's so, um, and it's, it's hard to articulate, I guess, like, because it was so normal. So I'm just going to describe like a typical day or week within my childhood. Like, let's say it was year six for me and it was Christmas. So you imagine how big Christmas is for 
anyone in primary school, how much craft they do for Christmas. Every single time there was ever any mention of Christmas craft or anything that was creating presents, drawing, anything, I had to sit outside. So it's further isolating me to be an outsider. So all I wanted to do was fit in. And so in my whole childhood, I reckon Ashley was probably the only one at the school at the time. There was only myself and her out of what, 600 kids who were in that faith. So anytime there was Christmas, Easter, birthdays, even if somebody brought in cupcakes, I had to sit outside the room. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was just that feeling of being like, you're a constant outsider. Mm. And so I think that's now why I do deal better than most with how much hate I cop every day because I have never fitted in. I'm never going to fit in. I'm well aware I don't. Don't. <laughs> it's not a sad thing. No, it's not. It means I'm irreplaceable. You're never. Gonna, <laughs> you're never going to be able to find anyone like me. I know. <laughs> Did you just say I don't know about? I that? said I know. Oh, that. <laughs> I was like, what? Um, and and I do think as well. Like, Dad pointed out to me the other day is that in our congregation there was nine of us. We were all married before we were eighteen, mm. and we were all divorced before we were twenty-one. Yes. So, yes, like, if you talk about sex and you talk about marriage. that, yeah, you, same as you. Well, yeah, and that was that was <laughs> the you know big kicker for me. Like, it's um, I I did the the f word, fornicate. You, you know, bad boy. <laughs> yeah, where and I I literally had turned eighteen that week, um, and then so the following week I was put out of the the church, um, and I I then needed to get married in order to sort of come back to the church. Um, or to spend a significant amount of time outside of the church before I would be allowed back. And that was one of the big differences with our group versus the revival centre. But um, again, so we were both married. Yeah. And that's the same as well. So for Jehovah's Witnesses is you're just fellowshipped and then you sit at the back of the hall. No one's allowed to talk to you until a period of time and then you are accepted back in. But for those one to two years, you have no friends. So you're not not allowed to hang around with the world. We're out. Yeah. And so, and that's, that's huge. And that's, um, and there's a lot of other beliefs which are quite intense that I, I, I'm not even going to go down, but, um, how did you feel when you left? (laughs) Um, well, it was a bit of a transition really. Um, so for me, it wasn't just purely leaving. It was about slowly finding or, you know, you know, reasons and beliefs that I felt more comfortable with. So for me, I transitioned from a very, conservative hardline Pentecostal group to a much more liberal version um, mm-hmm. and started attending churches similar to, again, to your Hillsong type of church um, where it was much more accepting and love-based and not fear-based, which which was a, a side of the belief which I then felt much more comfortable with internally. Um, so that made it easier for me to then, I guess, justify to anyone else who knew me within the church that, I, I, my belief has changed. I still am a great Christian and, you know, I can still justify why I am, but I'm just a bit more lenient. I'm not so hard on myself anymore. And I don't believe that, you know, God wants me to constantly feel guilty all my life because I'm not perfect and so forth. Um, so that was like a stepping stone. Um, but then for different reasons over a period of time, there are other things again within those movements, which I still didn't feel comfortable with, which you start to learn as you're part of a group. Um, to the point where I started to slowly question a lot more just in terms of beliefs in general. Do you feel like that whole guilt feeling has like carried on throughout your life even after leaving the religion? No. Yeah. <laughs> I've dropped it. <laughs> I, I, 
<laughs> I've, I refuse, like, yeah, not refuse. I just don't. I don't, I just don't feel guilty for that mm. kind of stuff anymore. I don't, um, I sort of, I've spent enough my life feeling guilty and I've, I've, that's where I, certainly my beliefs have changed significantly. And we've obviously spent many, many nights talking about our beliefs and our, like what we do actually believe and how we feel and all of that sort of stuff. Do you feel comfortable articulating what your beliefs are now? Like, do you? I feel comfortable, but can I? T- I don't, I don't, to be honest, I don't have any specific mm. belief anymore regarding what the the purpose of life is and, and is your there, way is, is the there only way and this life? is the truth. Is there a way to be saved? Is there this? Is there that? I, I actually just look at it and think objectively, I have absolutely no, no idea. idea. And no that's idea. totally and fine too. And that's what like, we always say and express to the kids. Like it's, I, I there's no way to know cause no one's ever been there. Yeah. So, so you can, o- it's only ever a faith and a belief. So then it just comes down to values. Well, in terms of life, what are your values? What makes you feel, you know, good as a human? We know we've got this life. Anything else is a bonus, but we definitely know we've got this life. So how we are in this life, I think, is the most, that's one thing we can control. Yeah. For me, that's the most important thing is acting in a way where I feel good as a person and feel that I have a positive impact, you know, in this world because this is something that is here. Yeah. And I'm very much the same. I feel like for me, I want my kids to explore their beliefs and what they feel is right for them. And as long as they are acting and not hurting anybody and, and yeah, acting within their values, that's really important to me as well. And to never come from a place of fear, because I do feel that most religion is based on a fear-based set of rules. There is. um, And again, there's a range within different religions and then different beliefs. And, um, you know, there are also the other side of it, which are either love-based or very much, you know, karma-based or whatever it might be. So that, you know, doing good, I guess if you, I was certainly not religious in any way anymore, but certainly I do just like the idea that in general, you know, if you, if you do right by people, you're most, most often, you know, going to feel better, you know, in yourself. So. It's funny as well. There's like this book, um, Buddhism for mothers Mm. and it's not, it's not even like, it's not even slightly religious. It's just a way of kindness and parenting with love and intention and it's a very like um it's a very beautiful book for new parents and I had sent it to one of my friends and just Jehovah's Witness and she was like mortified that I would even suggest that she would read it and I was like oh yeah like oh I forgot like I didn't even consider that that was a thing because it's it's not um a religion yeah like it's not like a bible you know what I mean like and I think that's, you know, one of the, for me, I guess, let's call it a red flag when you, when within a system, you're so, I guess, indoctrinated to that they're, they're worried about you even reading or being involved so that it would only be that you have to read an approved text. It had to be something that, you know, mm. supported the view somehow. Otherwise you had to be fully aware it was close enough that, well, these things they're still wrong in, but that's okay. Mm. So when they're so like fundamental in terms of, preventing you from just even considering alternative views, that's where you think, well, why? What's Why not be more aware? What's what's the concern here? Yeah. And I think as well, like when you are going to a kingdom hall or a church that many times per week, it's quite difficult to maintain anything outside of that, which is essentially the a way in order to be a good 
Jehovah's Witness, you know what I mean? Like it is very much that that's your entire world is making sure that you are saving others. And so for Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, that's how I know that it's never coming from a place of hurt or um, like with my mum is that she's trying to save people. She genuinely believes and and I respect everybody's beliefs. She genuinely believes that by her door knocking, it's coming from a place of love and she's trying to help you. And so it's like when, whenever I, and how embarrassing growing up, you remember the Simpsons episode with the Jehovah's Witnesses door knocking and everyone at school was like, that's you, you're the annoying one. And I was like, oh my God, like that is so mortifying. But genuinely, it's because they care and they want to save as many people as humanly possible. And I don't want to just like sit here and rag on the religion yeah. and things like that. And when I came up to Queensland, I was not in any way, shape or form like in the truth. And I came home one day when I'd moved up here and my whole garden had been mowed and done. And I was like, oh, that's weird. And like I rang Nath and I was like, hey, like the... And I knew it wasn't him because he didn't do shit. So I was like, I was like, uh, did you mow the lawns? And he was like, no. Anyway, there was a um, watchtower, which is like the Jehovah's Witness um, magazine, magazine yeah, in the letterbox. And it was like, um, I hope this helps your week. And so they're very giving and very yeah, beautiful. And like, yeah. and I always say as well, like if you ever can have a Jehovah's Witness employee, hire them because they are, they're never going to steal from you. They're never going to lie to you. Their, their morals are very, very much like – they couldn't live with themselves. The guilt would well, riddle and, them. And similar and the same as the faith that I grew up in. Like, you know, these people were, you know, very, like, very, very well-intentioned. Yes. It's just they had a very specific belief, right? Yep. So everything that they did was to try and save people. Yeah. So you can't really come from a more, mm -mm. I guess, noble, you know, no. position. It's just that their version of what that meant to be saved, how they can help society, how they can help humanity was specific to helping them understand their truth, which was mm -hmm. different to your truth, etc. Mm. So there, there's certainly no sort of ill intention in that respect. And and like you said, their morals and there's so many, I guess, you know, if you when you look back at it objectively, so many good lessons to come out of it. And Christianity in itself has very, you know, so many great sort of moral sort of standards around it. So it, there, there is a, a lot of those positives as well. Um, it's just a, a very specific belief that's attached to. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's very much their way or the highway type thing. There's mm. no level of like, I'll dip my toe in, but I'll still do this, this and this. It's very yeah. much 100% exactly. or none. Yeah. So you're either all in or you're all out. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting for us because we grew up in it. This was our life. This was so normal. This was part of my every day. Like I go to my mum's house and I have a list of rules. And I think I've mentioned that on the podcast before is when I got to my mum's in Adelaide for COVID, it was like I had a list of rules that I had to adhere to being in her house. And I respect my mum very much, but I'm also an adult and I have my own children and I do not need to follow your rules. Like, what? <laughs> no, I get it. <laughs> it is. I know. Um, yeah. Like I don't, I don't think you should let us sleep in a bed together there. No, my family would be similar and that's and that's why I wouldn't then do that because I'd respect their beliefs and faith and you know stay somewhere else. But do you know do you know what's so do you know what's so weird about that though? Is my mum has Airbnbs, so people are clearly shagging in the bed. Yeah. Like <laughs> Well one of my brothers is not part of it, so we can stay at his house or we can stay somewhere else as well. We've got lots of options. Yeah, and, anyway, and guys, thing, we're not homeless, the day, that's the thing. We, we entirely both respect our, you know, family's choices and and we both have families who, you know, 
uh, some are in, some are out, and mm. and it makes no difference to what we you know feel about them. No, and I think that yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is that like I absolutely am happy for my children to believe anything they want without it coming from a place of pressure or without it coming from a place of fear. And I'm just so grateful that I um yeah have the mindset I guess to be able to educate them and be able to shift their direction to be able to empower them too. I very much agree with your parents. <laughs> you all right well thank you so much for joining the podcast today now I'm going to assume that there's going to be a lot of questions about this so we might even need to do like a follow-up but what I'll do is I'll put a question box into the Flourish and Fulfilled community um and you're regularly on the potty anyway so I am now (laughs) (laughs) yeah you've been roped into it (laughs) um so thank you so much for joining us again as always you're welcome thank you All right, guys, I will speak to you next week. But if you are wanting to continue the conversation, head to the closed Facebook group, which is Flourish and Fulfilled Community, or on Instagram, Flourish and Fulfilled.